0: Um, so it's it's absolutely my pleasure to introduce to each of you today, um, Dr. Robert Heise. So he is a uh, professor in pulmonary disease and critical care medicine at the University of Michigan. Um, he has been publishing on the use of EIT or electrical impedance tomography in ARDS. And as you may have heard some of the chatter before we started about kind of the use of this in peep titration and just generally in our ARDS patients, um, while it's not necessarily <laughs> FDA approved here uh, in the United States. What is the value for this and and how can we use this? And um, I'm very happy to have him here to share his work and his data. Um, So, Dr. Heisey, thank you for being here. And I I look forward to learning from you today. Great. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Here we go. Jeff Hasday is an old friend and colleague. And uh, we communicated about research unrelated to this some time ago. So, I'm going to tell you about EIT. I want to frame it accordingly. And, of course, uh, this is a sophisticated audience. I'm not starting from square one. So, pardon me if I make assumptions, but I'm going to. You're all aware that um, ARDS is a heterogeneous uh, condition in many ways, one of which is recruitability. I think this was first, perhaps dramatically uh, uh, pointed out by Gadnoni, uh, who had a CAT scanner next to his ICU. He had a paper, my gosh, it's uh, 16 years ago now in the Journal, demonstrating that you, you, that some patients are more recruitable than others. In other words, what do we think we want to do? We want to give them a PEEP to uh, get the best compliance, improve oxygenation. But it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, issue uh, in, in his hands. Uh, uh, the patients who had a response to PEEP were at a higher mortality, more likely to have pneumonia, less likely to have sepsis, and more likely to have more severe hypoxemia. And that kind of got the ball rolling. We know lots of other things, too, with regard to the heterogeneity. You know, everyone is uh, used to thinking of the ARMA trial, in the Journal 2000, six versus 12 cc's per kilo. That's not true. The, the low tidal biome group uh, was had a target of plateau pressure for uh, under 30 centimeters of water, and you were allowed to go as high as eight uh, in, if plateau was under 30, and and you tried to go as low as four cc per kilo, ideal body weight if if you couldn't get the plateau under 30 or in an attempt to get the plateau under 30. And this uh, paper uh, from the Blue Journal last year demonstrates, again, the issue of sort of heterogeneity, if you will, the, the notion of lung protection of low tidal biome is more important in patients who have high elastance, which is the converse of compliance, that stiffer or lower compliant lungs. So again, it's a, it's a heterogeneous issue. We'd all like to, I think, do right by our patients, but it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And what are we trying to accomplish here then? Not only uh, not over, avoiding over distension of the lung with Katononi's baby lung by providing large tidal volumes to the only part of the lung that's recruit that the tidal volume is delivered, but perhaps the recruit the areas of lung that have compressive atelectasis, the dependent portions, which, as you know, if you flip somebody prone are now anterior, but it's a supine patient posteriorly. And that is a notion, that, like Bernard Lachman had, had quoted uh, in an editorial uh, at, the, at the dawn of lung protective ventilation, open the lung and keep it open. We also know that there's an interface of what's called sit. So we have compressive atelectasis with ARDS, but we also have opening and closing of lung units at that interface between uh, recruited lung and collapsed lung, as long as recruited on a breath-by-breath basis. We call that cyclic atelectasis, and that opening and closing can produce atelectrauma and also worse lung injury. So the idea then, as Lachman said, let's recruit the lung and avoid all that, not only minimize the compressive atelectasis and avoid on a breath-by-breath basis the cyclic atelectasis. And after Armour came out, the next step of the the uh, that took was a high PEEP uh, versus low peak strategy. That was a negative trial, two other trials, and that was published in 2005, I want to believe. Two other trials published with the same issue in JAMA 2008, the Lowe's trial in Canada using a high PEEP table, the express trial done in Europe, trading PEEP to plateau pressure, uh, all three of which were negative, and and uh, with this meta-analysis done in 2010, you barely—and this is by the way pre-Berlin—so you get the old definition of ARDS. But you barely get a p-value here, and I mean you, you you see almost no separation here on the lower left-hand side of the of the Kaplan-Meier curves for the ARDS patients, i.e., patients who PDF ratio were under 200, the old definition at the time. So you know, giving PEEP to everyone so it, it was was kind of a high PEEP anyway, not necessarily a, a, a value. I mean, it, it, it takes a meta-analysis through negative trials to squeeze out a P-value. But but when you retro, retroactively look at loves and express, you see something interesting, and that is to say one size doesn't fit all. And if you look at the patients who respond with oxygenation to PEEP, and you can argue with an oxygenation is the best uh, uh, best uh, uh, thing to measure with PEEP, I, I, I would argue not, but at least if you separate out loves and express according to recruitability based on oxygenation, you actually do see in the recruitable population, the high PEEP protocol producing a clear mortality benefit. So again, one size does not fit all. It's ideal to give each patient the right thing. Along comes driving pressure a few years ago, uh, which is, of course, as you know, plateau minus PEEP with a sweet spot perhaps under 15. Uh, and um, the idea being that the plateau, that uh, driving pressure rather is a surrogate, if you will, for recruitability, that delta, delta P, the change in driving pressure. Here's an example of what I mean. If you go up on PEEP and driving pressure goes down, that gap between plateau and PEEP doesn't widen or perhaps even narrows, you're recruiting along. But has driving pressure been shown prospectively to have a, a benefit above just low tidal volume, low P ventilation? No, it is not. I know that Surina Suheta back in, in your city across town in Hopkins has always been interested in this. She's aligned with the practical group. We had a call. Canadians are going to look at this protocol. I think this approach, I think it's going to be tough to prove because, of course, um, Delta P, uh, driving pressure and plateau pressure, pretty closely linked mathematically. But Delta delta P, uh, when you look at alveoli and express two of the two of, two of those three high P trials, the change in driving pressure does seem to be more associated. Oops, I'm sorry, going to see this coming um, with uh, mortality. So everyone wants to do the right thing. And and this, of course, is this notion of personalized medicine. And to date, we really only have one attempt to do a large trial of personalized medicine in ARDS. And and this was not based on lung mechanics as much as it was just based on the raw appearance of the x-ray with the randomized to uh, to six cc per kilo traditional uh, ARDS style. The ventilation versus the personalized group, which separated patients into those who had a focal lung morphology versus non-focal lung morphology. The focal lung morphology were allowed to have larger tidal volumes and did not have recruit maneuvers, and uh, and but but were prone. Uh, and uh, it was an interesting paper. I think that what I find is that uh, just just like um, the steroid trial that came out uh, in early 2020, uh, 20, this this paper is kind of forgotten because we all got wrapped up. In in the um, few months later uh, in the COVID epidemic, but this was a negative trial, and uh, and here's an example: focal method, uh, focal versus uh, non-focal, uh, non-focal here, non-focal here, and and what they said was, "Gee, well, you know, our problem was, as we already know, with ARDS, uh, the kappa for uh, agreement of reading X-rays uh, is is not good, and they 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 when they retroactively went back and appropriately classified patients." They found a mortality difference. Well, the, the point I'm making is that this is an attempt, if you will, to to, to treat people differently according to ventilator strategy based on uh, a priori recognition of, of subgroups and an attempt to uh, do right by each patient. I, I may mention there, you know, uh, the pedal network, which I've been part of for, gosh, a, a seven or nine years now, is sunsetting and NHLBI is a little frustrated uh, with with um, the progress has been made in, in improving ARDS uh, uh, mortality. And, and the next wrinkle, the new wrinkle, is the APS consortium, which is ARDS uh, pneumonia sepsis, which is an observational database of subphenotype patients. I would argue that looking at response to ventilation ought to be part of our database. Uh, that, that grant has not been awarded. We just have priority scores. We're hopeful of being one of the named um, institutions. But the larger point being that I, I think most of the country and the world is on the same page with regard to ARDS. And that is to say one-size-fits-all doesn't uh, accomplish much, or or at least we squeeze as much mortality benefit as we can with, with ARMA, and, uh, and we have to do better. And I think looking at lung mechanics and, and, and treating patients differently according to lung mechanics uh, is probably a good idea, uh, but at least to date, the one attempt to do so wasn't based on lung mechanics, but ostensibly based on what ought to be represented in uh, representative of response to uh, ventilated strategy IEP focal versus non focal uh, infiltrates did, was a failure, at least the perspective rendering it. If you you know everyone's got their uh, fund, that, you know when they retrospectively data mine, and, and this is no, no different. So that brings me to EIT. That's a lengthy and wordy introduction. We were fortunate to have a um, review. Earlier this year in EIT, uh, we, are, we have uh, data of our own. I'll share with you just a few moments that we're um, it's under revision of critical care. So what is EIT? Well, I'm not getting known. I don't have a CAD scanner next to my um, ICU. We do have something called EIT, uh, which, uh, as you may have heard in the prelude to this lecture, is, is, F, is not FDA approved but commercially available in the U.S. and uh, uh, available for routine clinical use in Canada and Europe. And and uh, if it, it, you know if you if you like CAD scans, you you'll find the imaging of that uh, you get out of EIT the fuzzy images to be less than entirely distinct. But what this is is essentially uh, uh, what you see here. You, you put a belt around the chest and forth in a costal space. You you um, uh, apply a current, and then according to the tissue properties of being being full of fluid or air. You, you generate a pixelated um, image. And uh, I might mention that this, I just did this uh, last week, uh, that the interest in the is burgeoning. This, of course, is a diagram from PubMed, just looking at publications. And you can see, I'm not saying it's quite uh, taking off, but it's linear, but it seems to be going up year over end, the interest in publications um, employing this technique. So the interest clearly is, is there. So what is this 16 to 32 elect- electrodes? Uh, And then they measure tissue uh, resistivity. High tissue resistivity, i.e., uh, impedance, yields a low signal, and that, of course, is reflected in when you have a lot of air. This air acts as an electrical resistor, which increases impedance. Extracellular water serves as a conductor, reducing impedance. So you got a contrast there. And so, hundreds of electrical currents are applied, and again, you generate images from from the response of the tissue. Uh, to uh, that, uh, those currents and, and the, the tissue properties as encountered. Now, there's a lot of um, uh, fundamental variables one can look at. I, I'm, uh, this is a table from our um, critical care medicine review. I'm not going to focus on too many of these. Uh, actually, I'm going to mainly just focus on what we call the over compliance intercept because that tends to be the, um, the, the uh, uh, variable uh, which uh, investigators tend to use to try to optimize PEEP in the setting of ARDS, um, silent spaces. I kind of like kind of like that terminology. Silent spaces is not necessarily much different. I mean, those are areas that either are overdistended or collapsed as well. And if, if you can try to minimize silent spaces, you're kind of getting the same over-set, in, intercept. So what, what is the ODCL, the overdistention collapse intercept? That really is um, the optimal point between collapse, you know, where, where, where collapse is minimized and overdistention is minimized the extent you can, the peep that gives you the best trade-off between the two. Now, just so you can argue, well, why the fourth Why why the fourth intercostal space? You know, well, I mean, certainly we think that putting that lower would give more respiratory variation. You'd be at greater risk of having uh, a lot of noise due to diaphragmatic excursion. So, there's some compromise there. Uh, at the fourth intercostal space, you're only getting a representative slice. It's really essentially one CT slice, if you will. So, it makes you think that? Looking at the ODCL at that one slice, that one level of the chest is representative of the whole lung. I mean, you're, you're assuming it. Uh, I think pretty much diffuse disease, and we talked about the personalized medicine live trial. And if you have more focal disease, you might not be hitting it right. So there, there's inherent. There's an, this is not. This is not a, a technology that is uh, perfect in terms of the uh, intercept. There was a nice letter to the editor uh, in the Blue Journal criticizing an earlier article uh, in the use of the ODCL, the intercept, saying, what makes you think that that trade-off between overdistension and collapse is is, is like a 50-50 shot, you know, to, 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 to minimize both? Is not overdistension probably worse for uh, lung injury, perpetuating and exacerbating lung injury than than atelectasis, so, so, so why do you think that the intercept should be your target? So, and that's, you know, what like rhetorically, I think that's not without merit, but the problem is that, you know, we don't have like dose response studies uh, to, to demonstrate um, that let, let's, look at, let's look, look at the intercept plus two P or something like that, or, um, uh, you know, to have, or, or minus two P for that matter. And so it kind of looks like this, this is, from, I guess I forgot the reference here, but this you can see with what the intercept looks like, the trade-off. And and you 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 basically give a recruitment maneuver and and titrate down and uh, and find that intercept if you can. So here's from our review an example of a patient who is recruitable, and you start at a. Um, and I'm kind of going to dance around for you a little bit this whole decelerating or decremental PEEP approach, by the way, because y'all I'm sure are aware of the ART trial, and the ART trial was at Opalum. Trial that had an increased harm in the open lung group, and one and a lot of early barotrauma and deaths. And one of the um, I proposed reasons for that higher mortality was the recruitment maneuver. That's the aggressive recruitment. In fact, we were in the middle of our uh, neuromuscular blockade tri- uh, tr- rose trial, but we had to sort of send out a bulletin and say "Don't don't do this. Don't do these aggressive recruitments." But in general, these are, and, and and by the way, halfway through the ARC trial, they modified their uh, recruitment maneuver to be not quite as, quote, aggressive. So um, you can see that the inspiration x-ray, this is a, 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 a decremental PEEP approach. You start at a PEEP, uh, and you look at the trade-off between ventilation, we're here with over to here, in the gray collapse, and you find that mid-range point where uh, over is minimized, and and so is uh Collapse. And again, you can argue whether that's the right thing. What makes you maybe the best point of view would be a little bit less PEEP. So you have uh, you, no over okay? But uh, by convention, most investigators choose to use this uh, this intercept. Here's an example of a non recruited patient. You can see as you decrementally down a PEEP, it really just isn't that intercept. There's no trade off. Uh, you know, so maybe this is someone who. Has uh, a set of diffuse alveolar damage, maybe it just has uh, b- bacterial pneumonia or something. But, but it, is, it does help you um, discriminate between uh, recruitability and not. And it does give you these very fuzzy images, but they're color coded according to the characteristics you're, you're seeing ventilation, overdistension, and uh, collapse. I do want to share with you, I mean, like I've I, I told you, there's a lot, a lot of papers out here. And you say, well, that's all. Let, you know, let's just get to work. Let's just let's do some studies and let's show this stuff works. And I'll share two RCTs with you. These are probably the two biggest. Most of the information I, uh, on EIT is physiologic. And I'm going to share with you our own physiologic information, but without meaningful clinical endpoints. I mean, that's the name of the game, isn't it? So this is one trial that uh, that had 117 patients and, and they used the intercept. Uh, and a decremental PEEP approach, just as I described. And, and they, and, but they managed my EIT for 24 hours, and then, and then they went back to a low PEEP table, which was the control. So perhaps it's not a surprise. That it, so what does this point to? It points to the fact that if you got the belt on somebody and you get a bunch of data at, on day one, you know, uh, ARDS tends to last more than a day. Uh, now, these patients, as it turns out, probably had no mortality benefit released, because we you know from the support trial, one safe trial rather, that um in you know, 24% of patients who meet ARDS criteria day time zero don't at day one. They had a lot of low acuity patients. But managing people just for 24 hours with, with an EIT versus low PEEP table, and then and then let the attending physician go back to the PEEP table. I'm not sure it's realistic to expect any uh, any clinical difference. Uh so those that that have persistence of their ARDS. Are, are getting treated the same after 24 hours, but there's one RCT. It's hundred patients. You, it, now, you know, in, in parallel, at least we're, we were having trials of hundreds and hundreds of patients. I mean, you can look at a trial of 117 and say, that's not bad, but, uh, and these patients are harder to come by. It's still not that that big a, a, a trial and you can you know, r- run a follow of things. This may be a type two error here. Who knows? Here's one where we are type one error. So this is a different pay, uh, study and, um, 87 patients. Now, at least these patients were sicker. They were moderate to severe, which I would argue is probably the better population to um, study. They, they compared EIT titration versus pressure volume curves, right, with the, with the Danny Talmore, uh, uh, uh balloon, if you will, transpulmonary pressure, and they found that the PEEP was higher in the transpulmonary pressure group, perhaps not surprisingly, right, because if, you, if you've if you used uh, these things as we participated, in the LIPS the trials, you know that the um when you take the chest wall into account, particularly obese people, you end up at higher peeps. Driving pressure was also higher. Survival was lower in the group. See, Wow, they did eighty-seven patient trial. They got a lower mortality, but you know this was very. And you can see the lower right quadrant. You know the decremental people approach and the intercept, and then the pressure volume curves used for the other group. But you know what? This is this is probably problems here with randomization. They had. Patients with a higher risk rate, rate in, in, in the PV group, which could contribute to mechanical power, more on that in just a minute, and more ECMO use in the IT group, which is a sales modality, which you, if you believe Veolia, I mean, as I'm fond kind of saying, the most positive negative trial ever, um, then perhaps it's no surprise it's a mortality benefit. So what, what good is an 87-patient uh, trial uh, potentially misleading? I mean, uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting information, but I think it, what it really speaks to is the challenge of trying to upscale individualized personalized medicine, particularly when it comes to uh, devices. You know, uh, you're, you're in Baltimore, you've got Abashi uh, Bashi there. You've got the, the, the APRV people. And, you know, I've always been critical of them for saying, well, uh, they, 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 they claim all the APRV studies ever have been done or done wrong because you've got to individualize unless you individualize, you're doing it wrong, so your paper your study isn't worth anything because you didn't do it right. Well, you know, I mean, so after being critical in that regard, perhaps with EIT, I'm succumbing to the same kind of logic, saying, well, I mean, you have to individualize therapy with EIT, and you have to do a study that's big enough and long enough uh, to really show a difference. And that's really not, a, not that practical, and especially if you want to maybe titrate the PEEP every day instead of just in the first 24 hours and then say, do whatever you want. So that leads me to what we did. And I, I was fortunate to get some money from the uh, Chest Foundation. We had a uh, EIT machine on loan from Drager, just sitting there. And I and what we decided we would do uh, w- with some of the issues I just mentioned in mind was a randomized crossover trial design. It was physiologic, but we thought at least this way we could use uh, each patient uh, to some extent as their own control. And I've got some little blacked out boxes here because this, this, this proposal was funded pre-COVID. And our original goal was not only to look at physiological parameters, but to look at um, biomarkers via mini-BAL. And so along comes the, just, just as soon as we up and running, along comes the COVID pandemic. My respiratory therapists say we're not splashing around with BAL, people we don't have to. So I sat tight for Several months thinking, well, when, 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 as soon as the pandemic is over, we'll get back to this uh, study. Can't, 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 get the cytokines and all that other kind of stuff. Found uh, you know, rage, all that. So I finally capitulated and said, well, the pandemic's not ending. My like, grant's a three-year grant. I either do something or not. So submitted an amendment, decided, well, we're going we're gonna bo- block out the, the biomarkers and we're just gonna go with physiologic parameters. We're gonna study EIT patients because goodness knows. Like I'm sure you did. We had plenty of them. So here was the design. Uh, we took patients' amount of severity early in the course and uh, got consent, of course, and then randomized them to more of the same. Now, my institution, because of the ambiguities, uh, you get your choice. As a, as an attending, do you want to go with a strict ARMA-style low PEEP protocol? Do you want to go with a love-style high PEEP protocol? I'm sort of a high peak guy. But whatever it is at, t- at time zero, once randomization, you were randomized either switching over to EIT titration or staying at a peak table. But if you're on a low peak table, you put on a high peak table. That's, if you're on a high peak table, you stay on your high peak table. We crossed over at six hours. We crossed over at another uh, 18 hours, the point being that we weren't going to be able to do this in the middle of the night. We did have some cytokine data that said six hours of ventilator changes might be sufficient to show uh, information, that's why we settled on six. But we also powered this really to look at physiology as well. We, we try to do it as soup to nuts as we can. So, what did we do? Took, we took adults. I'm not going to include with you for you on this slide the exclusion factor, but the usual kinds of exclusions, you know, bad MC lung disease, I, ILD, COPD, pregnant people, prisoners, so forth and so on. Um, they had to have uh, sort of essentially um, modest severe Yes, this is the same criteria we used for the Rose trial, PDF under 150 on a peep of at least eight. And again, we, we, we randomized them to PEEP table first or EIT first, crossed over six to 18. And for those who had EIT, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sure you know what PEEP table is, I won't go into detail on that, but for the, for the PEEP uh, titration via EIT, we did a recurrent maneuver, okay? And then we did a decremental PEEP uh, study, decreasing by two centimeters of water until you had either 10% drop and then change in expiratory on impedance. Uh, or any region of interest occurred. Five centimeters of PEEP was reached and we, or in we done instability or hypoxemia, we reported that it really didn't occur. Uh, so it was well tolerated. And again, our recruitment was not an aggressive, it was, more, it was not even the modified ART uh, trial. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, I think ART started at 50 over 35, I think it was over five minutes. So it wasn't like that. But the primary outcome was change in mechanical power more than just a second after each PEEP selection. And we used a calculation, again, known as a simplified form for those that aren't buying ventilation. That should be a parenthesis. Sorry about that. We had one pressure patient we had to calculate more formally, but we used this. And there were a bunch of secondary outcomes that you might imagine, driving pressure, plateau pressure, oxygenation in terms of PDF ratio, compliance, and then what we call the four times delta P plus respiratory index, which... There was a paper in the Blue Journal a year or two ago that showed that much of the explanatory power of mechanical power uh, could be accounted for by a simple calculation of the the driving pressure being say five four times more important than the respiratory, respiratory rate being a contributory factor. That sounds a little complicated, but you have to look at the paper. And why do we choose the high um, uh, peep table? Well, I'm fond of it, and the reason I'm fond of it, and here's the love. This is the, the, the PEAT table, high from the LOVES trial. Danelli again, um, eight years ago, um, in his with his CAT scanner, so getting multiple slices, looked at the best trade-off between uh, the upper bars here, recruitment and and, and over distension, lower bars here, looking at four different uh, ways of titrating PEAT. The LOVES trial, which is the PEAT table here, the EXPRESS trial, which, as I said, titrated PEAT according to the pressure. The stress index, which I haven't told you about, but is, is the waveform, convex, concave uh, during the um, – inflation, and and then like an esophageal balloon, transponent for pressure measurements and found the peak table, high peak table, loves to be the best trade-off between um, lack of over distension and recruitment. So I said, okay, fine, we'll use that as our gold standard. I don't have a CAT scanner, but Gatinelli does. So we'll use that as our standard of comparison. And here's mechanical power. Mechanical power is a newer kit on the block. You've heard about delta P, mechanical power, kind of was, was shovel-ready when COVID came around, but it was just being described. You heard of stuff like P-Silly, for example, with wide strings and transpulmonary pressure maybe exacerbating lung injury in the non patient. Here's a fancy formula, Here's it's a simplified formula. And just, just the point is, what is mechanical power? It is really how much energy the lung's absorbing from the ventilator as you push air into the into the lung with positive pressure, the variables that are important to transpulmonary pressure driving pressure, respiratory flow and PEEP, and again, much of the explanatory power in the paper I just mentioned, really four times delta P plus the pressure rate, so a lot of it, but it's, it's how much damage you're likely to do to the lung uh, with the ventilator, and what's the evidence? There's a bunch of stuff on mechanical power. I think the best, it's all observational. I mean, the problem is that observational postdoc stuff is easy to come by, but this was in Lancet, respiratory disease two years ago, pre-COVID database, the i database of, uh, I think, six or 7,000 patients up in uh, Toronto. And uh, they had thresholds for driving pressure 15 or mechanical power of of, of centimeters of water, that is, and mechanical power of the 17, the the units being joules a minute. So the days with mechanical power of over 17 joules a minute was highly associated with mortality. So the notion is that if your lungs are absorbing a lot of energy uh, from the ventilator, as you provide invasive mechanization, you're at high risk of that. Ditto for driving pressure. I mean, we already sort of knew that based on that. 2015 post hoc analysis of some of our larger areas trials. So that's why, that's why it's where we're coming from. Uh, choosing mechanical power that's where we're coming from and uh, choosing the, um, the love's P table as the, as the background comparator. And so uh, you know we had our 15 patients and, and just they were pretty much even at randomization. Um, Tydevime was a little bit different, but I mean but honestly, it was clinically different. Driving pressure was on uh, was mechanical power. Uh, was a little bit different but tilted towards EIT first. This is at randomization. Okay. So you could argue our EIT patients had a little bit of a handicap in terms of mechanical power. It was not statistically significant, but there was a trend. Everything else pretty much came out even. These were COVID patients by and large, some of whom had concomitant bacterial pneumonia. And so uh, the changes, so so the one question you want to know is okay you switch over what 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 does a what does the machine via the intercept tell you to do. And so um, ultimately, obviously, if you're on the PEEP table, many of the patients uh, were already on high PEEP. So you will expect if you're on a PEEP table, you randomize the PEEP table that you should have a big change in PEEP. But we did have a change in PEEP on average of, of two centimeters of water, usually down actually, as they'll share with you, usually down in the patients that are randomized to EIT. So uh, again, you can see this This is in each, and, and you know, this is a, it, in an uh, individualized space, each dot representing a patient. So, in general, um, EIT directed peak uh, when, you, when you were switched over uh, resulted in a little less peak. And in terms of our variables, I put in the box for you the mechanical power because that I'd like to draw your attention to the most. That is the actually only significant one. So, in terms of driving pressure, no difference. In terms of compliance, no difference. Terms of oxygenation, really. I mean, some differences, but not statistically. So, but driving pressure, or I'm sorry, mechanical power actually uh, went down with the uh, EIT uh, titration, and 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 presumably that had something to do with a less P. So, um, you know, not a big trial. Uh, like I say, it's hard uh, to um, do clinical research. You have to get consent, things like that. And uh, we pretty much stopped enrolling people in February when our COVID patient population went away. <laughs> Uh, as I'm sure yours uh, did as well. You're, you know, that makes them feel still getting COVID, but they're just not as sick. And um, we uh, wrote this up. We have it submitted to uh, Critical Care. It's been reviewed and re-reviewed, and we just resubmitted our revision, uh, well, the other day. And uh, with a little bit of luck, we'll convince our... Uh, one reviewer a happy camper, but one, of course, is pretty curmudgeonly, so um, <clears throat> we'll see. All right, so... Uh, oh, this is... Uh, some other information. So we're not the only uh, group that's ever tried to do this. Um, some I, I didn't know what frontiers of medicine is, so I'll be happy if we're in critical care. It's a pretty good impact factor. But someone else did try to do positive pressure with COVID-19. And they kind of found a, a similar kind of thing, only what they did was they had both lower and higher PEEP tables. And, and this is this Goldilocks notion, because even though our, our control PEEP table was a high PEEP table, and I said in general we're dialing down PEEP a couple of centimeters of water, um what they found was that uh that the, the peep as dictated by EIT tend to be a little higher than the low, arm up low PEEP table, a little lower than the love's high PEEP table. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm not here to say that we now have um definitive knowledge and wisdom. You know, my advice to use we use a love PEEP table and dial down two centimeters of water. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that um it's at least it was an interesting observation um that uh, a similar kind of finding. Uh, was seen. Um, and so mechanical power also went down with these guys too um, here. And their study was, I think, about the same size as ours. You can see here, mechanical power. I think that they also had uh, driving pressure to go, go down, and it did not change in ours. It went down maybe just a centimeter of water. So similar kind of thing. So what are we saying? Uh, EIT may be able to identify individuals receiving too much peat as dictated by the use of the high PEEP table. A hypothesis generating. I am not at all wedded to that notion um you know we may have had in our own uh, data potential imbalance of randomization such as the eit uh, first group had a higher baseline mechanical power but uh, that should have biased results in the other direction now there is a large uh, uh canadian effort international effort really out of toronto but, but i think four or five countries uh and and again this is all physiologic um be, it would you, what would you like? To, what would be the ideal? or you'd have an RCT, a PEEP-directed uh, therapy by EIT over the entire course of one's invasive mechanical ventilation, uh, and 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 you would uh, have some criteria, presumably only moderately civic, severe patients who are less likely to get better in a hurry. So you know, so some kind of enrichment. This is just a two-hour trial, okay? But at least it's going to have a couple hundred people. And they're going to look at a lot of stuff here, but they're basically looking at the, the fit to, to verify the feasibility of measuring the potential lung improvement uh, with the IT. And they're looking at a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I didn't get into re- recruitment to inflation ratio. You could argue that that's a, something that's been independently uh, looked. I think Jeremy Beitler was the guy that had a paper on that in the Blue, Blue Journal a couple of years ago, which you could argue is is a physiologic analogy to what you're getting in the intercept um, with the IT Looking at EIT, the uh, people, again, two-hour studies. But, so this this will be a value because not of any um, uh, meaningful – I mean, they're, they're going to look at stuff like organ dysfunction and so and all that. I mean, if, if they see – they only have three days after two-hour peak titration of EIT, God bless them. I, I, to me, that would be random fluctuation. But it will be a large data set of a couple hundred people, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Eddie fan must be involved. In it. I haven't communicated with him about that, but I'm sure this is ongoing. So there's a lot of other applications in terms of ARDS. Um, there, there have been some other papers. I, I you know I mean, I don't have so much time with you today to, to, to talk. I will not know in great detail, but there has been some stuff in the Blue Journal article that's been accepted for publication, not in print. It's a preprint, looking at this in um, the COVID population with heat and high flow to try to uh, examine some issues. Um, there's been some stuff with uh, ventilation, how to optimize ventilation in COVID. Again, that's all we're studying, or at least the, the papers are trickling through now in um. For patients on ECMO, you know, the, the, the issue of how do you ventilate an ECMO patient uh, the best uh, way has been examined. And also some stuff regarding predicting weaning failure uh, with regard to uh, more collapse, you know, as a predictor um, uh, with EIT. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff. I mean, as I shared with you, the publication um, uh, numbers have going up and up. Uh, I mean, the notion of using um, EIT to detect a... Um, Pneumothorax, this was actually employed in a subset of the R trial patients. But, I mean, everyone's used to focus, I think, at this point, lung sliding, et cetera, et cetera. so I don't expect EIT to take a place of it. Uh, prone ventilation to predict proning response, I think that's an interesting notion. This was in critical care. It's a preprint. I don't think it's uh, come out yet. COVID-19 as usual. But, I mean, look, it, wouldn't it be nice to know, because uh, prone uh, is very labor-intensive, to know uh, in advance if you could predict uh, who it's going to be most worthwhile in. That might be something, as I mentioned, here's a reference for um, assessing ventilation or ECMO and, and jump to weaning to assess focal lung stress. So there's a lot of things out there as potential applications. I, 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 the publications are going up. The number of quality studies, I mean, I shared with you uh, the quality. and then the qual- So the quality isn't great in terms of having meaningful clinical outcomes that would change what you do, right? That's what you want to know in a clinical trial. Somebody's going to change your practice, and there just aren't any guideposts. So I'll give you a balanced perspective on this. It does offer an opportunity for personalized medicine. But, hey, you know, maybe do cumbersome for daily use, and the notion that you're going to do do EIT titration for 24 hours, and then that's going to be meaningful for someone who may have a three-week course is, I think, a little bit misguided. And again, doesn't this sort of make me as comfortable? You know, I'm an artiste, just like the APRV people, you know, say, well, you, you know, I'm going to whip out my machine and, and you know, and I'm the guy that knows better. Um, people levels do seem a bit lower than IP table. Um, you can't really make any assumptions. I mean, but it did seem at least a couple of studies have demonstrated the same thing. So that's interesting. I, I, I think that's food for thought there. I, I, I'd like to follow up on that. But an RCT RCT demonstrating utility with meaningful endpoints, such as mortality or even a few days, it seems pretty impractical to me because you've got to have that belt on for days. You've got to have a lot of belts. You have to have a lot of machines. And uh, so, is one willing to accept surrogates such as driving pressure, mechanical power? I mean, this has been a problem with driving pressure for years. You know, we, we can retrospectively look at whatever database you want and tease out driving pressure and say it's important, delta, delta P, that. At delta delta PR if I share with, that's you know, that's more data mining from earlier trials. But I mean, unless you prospectively validate something, are you willing to accept it as a, um, as a, a way you should change your clinical behavior? So that's what I have for you. Thank you for attention. I'd be happy to answer any questions if I can.